Hey guys, huge news just came up. So as I'm getting ready to record the episode today, Wednesday's episode really, I get a Facebook message from Beatrice Leva? Beatrice Leva? I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not for sure, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce it like I mispronounce everything. But I get this message. This huge news. Beatrice, uh, thank you so much. Uh, Forrest Finn's treasure has been found. Forrest Finn's treasure has been found. Now, today's episode and tomorrow's episode, they were pre-recorded. A lot of times I do that over the weekend to save myself some time and some headache. So, in an upcoming episode, we are fully going to look into the fact that I was wrong. I was wrong. I will always admit I was wrong. I said Forrest Finn didn't have a treasure. I said the whole thing. Apparently, Forrest Finn's treasure has been found. So, this is a little update to that. We'll get into it later in the week. Thank you so much, Beatrice, for bringing this to my attention. We'll get into this. Listen to today's episode, but we'll talk about this on Wednesday episode. We're going to talk about Forrest Finn's treasure being found. Enjoy today's episode. And thanks, Beatrice. Is it possible that you are the only person on the internet? And then we take a look at a truly terrifying alien encounter. What happened on the ride home today on Dead Rabbit Radio? everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys had a great weekend. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to hop right into it. First off, I want to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon supporter, Paul Martinez. Paul Martinez, you are going to be our pilot, our chauffeur. You're going to be our bodyguard for this episode. We really, really appreciate it that you're supporting the show. If you can't support the show via Patreon, that's okay, too. Just help get the word out about the show. That helps a ton. Also, we have a merch store. I always neglect to talk about the merch store. So if you can't support the Patreon, but you do have some extra money, you want some cool Dead Rabbit swag, check out the merch store in the links below. I never mention it. It's been around for a while. Let's go ahead and get started here. Paul, we are going to start off... Let's hop in. We're going to get into Jason Jalopy, but it's digitized. It's like that Tron machine. Shoots it and makes it... We should have been in the car while I was doing this. We have to run. We jump into the beam. We get digitized. Now, Paul, we're driving through the cyber freeway. Is that the term? Is it What's they called? Information superhighway? Was that the old term? What? Cyberspace? You guys were like, how old are you, Jason? Um, yeah, I know there's, like, surfing the web, but wasn't there an old term, like, I think it was information superhighway, you're, like, shaking your head, you're like, no, it's not, anyways, we're driving our car, it's total, like, lawnmower man graphics, everything's all blocky, I will control you, or I am your god, whatever he says, I don't even know the reference, Paul's driving our digitized Jason Jalopy through this 3D 1990s level computer graphic landscape. So, Paul, keep going down the super information highway. See that super information off-ramp? We stop at a super information Denny's and eat some digitized food. But we notice something. We notice something. There's not a lot of people in this digitized Denny's. Maybe because they have better taste than food. But no, that can't be it. Denny's is delicious. As we're drinking a carafe of digitized wine. It's just ones and zeros, but it looks so good. There's a conspiracy theory going around. This is straight from the conspiracy theory iceberg. It's known as empty internet. And the conspiracy theory is what it sounds like. Basically, there's far less people on the internet than you would believe. It doesn't sound super compelling at first glance. 
But something about it makes you a little suspicious, right? Something about it makes you a little suspicious. Because the thing with the internet is it gives you the illusion of communicating with other people, but you can never really prove anyone else is there. You have this sneaking suspicion. Now, when we're back in the real world, when we're not digitizing, we're on the bus or walking downtown or at school, we see everyone on their phones. So you go, they must be on the internet. The internet must be full of people. Everyone uses the internet. I use the internet. I go to the internet. It seems populated. But in the back of your mind, you think, maybe that's not the case. Now, I could go over a ton of statistics. Now, when saying that, that means that I did research And I have a ton of statistics, how many people actually use the internet, how many people upload videos to YouTube every hour, stuff like that. Those those are pretty common statistics. I'm not going to bore you with those. But there's two items that we really want to look at here. Two items that may make the empty internet conspiracy theory actually true. Paul, pay pay my digitized bill, but you have to pay with real money. We're leaving Denny's now. We're going to take a look at this conspiracy known as the empty internet. Also, I want to give a shout out real quick. There was a Twitter user known as some weirdo on Twitter, a.k.a. Jack. Jack actually listened to all the episodes of the show and went through the conspiracy theory iceberg, created an Excel spreadsheet of all of the topics I've covered so far, all the topics yet to be covered. That was a huge amount of work. I really, really appreciate it. It's something that... I have wanted to do or have done by someone else. And he took it upon himself. I didn't ask him to do it. That's absolutely amazing. I wanted to thank you so much for that. I know it took a ton of work. If you look in the show notes from now on, it'll say archivist, some weirdo on Twitter, a.k.a. Jack. Because I really appreciate that. I know that took a lot of work. So I appreciate that. As our official archivist, this little digitized Jack waving at us. Also, oddly enough, a year ago, a different listener named Jack actually wanted me to cover Empty Internet theory and the reason why i waited so long is because it's one of those things like i said it kind of you kind of feel that it's true but it's just kind of a feeling there's recently come to my attention some evidence that may make this theory a little more than just another series of words on the conspiracy theory iceberg something that i noticed recently and i i found this very fascinating is that twitter gets 145 million visitors daily this is where we get our statistics out so so sorry guys But this is important. According to the Pew Research Center, 10% of Twitter users make 80% of the posts. And I remember when that came out. And Twitter is super, really, it's oversized importance in today's society. If something goes trending, companies will cut sponsorship deals. Something goes trending, policies can change in the government. But 10% of the users on Twitter create 80% of the tweets. There's 145 million visitors daily on Twitter. So let's break that down. 10%, that's 14 million people. And every day, there's 500 million tweets. That means those 14 million people, they're tweeting 35 tweets a day. Simply that number. 14 million people putting out 35 tweets a day can reshape business and government. 14 million people a day. That would be an incredibly small country. That would be a, a large, a, a massive city, but a small country is able to affect the policies of the government and of corporations. So right there, you have this like You think of Twitter as being the marketplace of ideas. You have it where people go and just kind of say what's on their mind. That was kind of how it was set up. But that's not how it is now. 10% of the people, 14 million people, can affect massive change 
And again, sometimes it's just a company going, we, we, don't, we don't want to be involved in this controversy, we're out. So that, in a sense, creates this idea of an empty internet. It seems like it's this bustling thing when you look at it, but most of those are coming from 14 million people. So it's not, at, Twitter is not as massive as we think it is. A lot of people start Twitter accounts, never use them, they never read them, they may check it because they get a message sometimes. I had a Twitter account for years and never used it at all. I didn't start using it until I started doing this show. So it's empty. It's a bunch of people talking to each other and then talking to one person. All of a sudden, they go from having no interaction to 10 interactions and they go, whoa, 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 I better do, I better change something. Because if these 10 people hit me up, when the rest of them are coming. So that kind of gives you a sense of how we see the empty. But that's not really what we mean by empty internet, is it? Empty internet is more of a idea that there's no one else, not even 14 million people putting stuff out on Twitter. It's just you. It's just you. You're the only person. The truth lies somewhere in between. Just you, you're the only person using the internet. And then a small group of people controlling one of the biggest mouthpieces on the internet. The empty internet kind of floats somewhere in the middle there. Because I know I'm on the internet. I know other people on the internet. You can't just say there's one person. But is there something in the middle there? Is, there some, is, is the truth closer to the middle? Let's take a look at this. There's a subreddit known as Shills. And this is their mission statement, exposing corporate and government shills on social media. So they're basically going out and looking for things being socially blown up by AstroTurf campaigns. Shoe company wants to make a statement. They create fake accounts to make it look like their new shoe is going to be totally awesome. That's what this group does. That's what the subreddit goes. There's a username, FurFriendDongles, FurFriendDongles. And for friend dongles, did a little investigation into this. So he created a Reddit post, and it was called What I've Learned Fishing for Shill IPs. And this was written two years ago. He wanted to track down some shills. He wanted to track them back to their corporate overlords. Just expose them. See, you know, it's basically a thought exercise. Maybe he could expose some stuff. He said that what happens is these guys tend to have this thing, this service called Amazon AWS. It's like a server farm as he described it. So even if you can track it back to there, it allows someone to use one mobile device to access tons of accounts. So you can track it to the server farm, but you're never going to find out the actual IP of who owns it. That's fairly normal. That's fairly normal. And what he did was he created a post that said, this is your face. I had a little link to just a random YouTube video. So you'd click on it. Now, when you click the link, it'll allow him to track your IP. It'll take you to a certain website to allow you to track your IP. He figured it's just going to go to Amazon AWS. I just want to see if there are any patterns. Let's take a look at one of these statements he made. Quote, So, I noticed that when I was wrong and contacted a real person, as opposed to a shill, as opposed to a shill. So, I noticed that when I was wrong and had contacted a real person, it took them a humanish amount of time to click the link. Maybe five, ten minutes. When you send the link to a shill, though, the response is immediate. I'm talking like in the time it takes you to hit send on the bait message and click over to refresh the IP logger page. They had already clicked. That happens every single time. Think about what that means for a bit. So he says that he thought it was weird. He's sending it to these people and sometimes they would sit in their inbox. Sometimes it would be immediate. He'd go to the refresh page, see that they clicked it. He goes, maybe it's a glitch with how I have this set up. So he started sending them to his friends and says, hey, I'm doing this IP logger thing. He sent some to his own dummy accounts. And sure enough, 
it would take the the buddy to go open up the document, click the link, show up in his IP logger. When he'd do it, he would go over to his account, click the link, check. There would be a period of time where he had to log out of one thing, go to the other thing, click the link. But there were accounts he would send it to, and it would immediately get clicked. So it made you start to think, who's clicking these so quickly? It's not a web crawler. Someone is clicking this link in a heartbeat. And he realizes that his idea that you had companies hiring these shills, hiring these people to hype their products or to downplay other stuff, he wasn't finding shills. He was finding an AI. So you go, okay, links are automatically getting clicked. But that's not all that was going on. Take a look at this. Here's another quote. To test it, I sent a few shills messages that said, the link in the body of this message will give me your IP. On the assumption that a piece of their code is check links for context or something. They still clicked with the same speed and responded differently each time with things like, you don't have my IP, you little bitch, or nice try, shill. Things like that seemingly baiting me into an organic-seeming conversation. You would not believe how often this happens. We're talking major threads. The top three posters, each of them shills, or at least the people who will click on a phishing link when you tell them to. Entire mod teams, all of whom responded but one individual who said, what the F? And that was it. I cannot come up with a theory that takes into account all of those factors, other than to say that I think a good portion of shills are not real people, and that you find shills at the top of many, many of the threads that make it to the front page of Reddit he's talking about. Maybe they have real people that take over when a conversation can't be completed by script. I don't know. But the fact remains, you can tell a shill that a link will collect their IP, and they will still click it. After making this post, his account was banned. This is what we are talking about when we're talking about empty internet. Did for friend dongles actually uncover this? Because it's not just that these links are getting clicked. These are people who he was having interactions with. The top three posters of threads that were some of the biggest threads on Reddit. Is there an AI that has been developed by a company or multiple companies that simulates human conversation? Shills. To promote a product, to downgrade another product, to push an agenda, to hold back another agenda. All of these competing AIs fighting for space. And we're just going on, checking our bank account, laughing at memes, reading the news. And all around us, the internet seems like it's bustling with activity, when in fact, it's fake. Like a movie set. It looks real, but when you get close and you dig into it, it's artificial. Sounds paranoid. Sounds crazy. But you never really know who you're talking to. But you always do assume you're talking to a human. Can you be sure? Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and leave this digitized world. We see digitized tumbleweed starting to glitch out. Paul, get the Jason Jalopy going. He's cranking it super hard. We get in it. The world starts to de-digitize. Faster, faster. We're back in the real world. Thank you for your amazing driving skills. Creepy story. Creepy story. And to be fair, like, you're going to have those show notes. You can read his post. To be fair, as a skeptic, for friend Dongles could have done anything after posting this to get his account banned. Who knows? After this, he may have went on and started doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But 
this is the narrative that we have here. So, very, very interesting. You guys who are more techie can probably dig more into that. He actually says, this is the program I use. Here's the links I use. Try it for yourself. It's super, super spooky. But you can do it. So, uh, thank you, Jack, for creating that Conspiracy Theory Excel document. Thank you, other Jack, for recommending the story. And, Paul, let's go ahead and hop in that carpenter copter. We are headed out to New York. We're flying over the night sky. We're specifically going to Mauhopak. That's in Putnam County in New York. It's August 15th, 1984. Helicopters flying through the dark night sky. It's 2 a.m. Helicopters flying through the dark morning sky. I got this off of thinkaboutitdocs.com, one of my favorite websites for this type of stuff, and it was reported by an author named Phil Imbrogno. So thank you, Phil, for doing the ground research, and thank you again, thinkaboutitdocs.com. It's such a great website. Carpenter Copter's flying low. Dew is like landing on the propellers, and it's like flying away and stuff like that. There's a nameless couple driving down the road, so let's give them names. We're going to call them Pete and Karen. Cars driving down the dark road at night. Damn it, dark road in the morning. And they see a brush fire. Out in a field. What's the guy's name again? Peter? Peter? <laughs> Jason? Okay, so Peter, if that's if that's your real name, Peter's driving the car, Karen's in the passenger seat. They see the fire burning. And Peter wants to pull over and take a look at the fire. Now, Karen's like, no, 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 no. Now, it is late night. They're leaving their friend's house. They're headed home. It's late night. And curiosity gets the best of Peter. He wants to go check it out. Karen is adamant not to go. And he's like, no, let's go. Now, remember, we don't have cell phones back then. His idea is let's go check out the fire if it's bad. If it's, like, totally raw and awesome, we'll sit and we'll watch it. But if it's just bad in the sense that it can cause a horrible fire, we'll go get authorities. So they're driving down the road, and they take a little turn off, and they're driving towards the fire. And at that point, parks the car, and it just does seem to be a little brush fires. Peter gets out of the car. He's walking towards it. It's cold August morning, and he sees lights coming up the road behind him. He goes, oh, somebody must have contacted the authorities. This will be great. Maybe I'll just stop and talk to him. Go, hey, yeah, make sure they don't think that I actually started the fire. And he sees the lights get close, and they kind of come to a stop. And he sees two officers get out of the car, and he's like, oh, okay, all's well that ends well. I'm going to take my girlfriend home. And then he goes, those aren't cops. Those are kids. Because as he get closer and he's starting to see the silhouettes get a little more defined, he notices they're under five feet tall. Hmm, Children. And the two figures are starting to walk slowly towards him, and panic sets in. Because at that point, Peter realizes they're not children. They are what we expect because we're listening to Dead Rabbit Radio, two gray aliens. They do have a bit of a different feature. He said the eyeball, they have the big, large head, long, skinny arms, giant black eyes. But he said the eyes were wrapping around the side of the head like an insect's eyeballs. So a little more of a sleek design than your average gray alien. He doesn't have time to take in the craftsmanship of these aliens, the aerodynamic nature of their head. He runs back to the car. He wasn't far to begin with, but any any distance from your car is a mile when there's two gray aliens approaching you at 2 a.m. in the middle of nowhere. He, he realizes in his soul that all they want is his girlfriend. That's all they want. 
he realizes that all they want is his girlfriend. So he tells Karen, get in the back seat, lay on the ground, throw that blanket over you, and don't move. She doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't take the time to explain. He's not like, they're kind of like gray aliens, but different eyes. He just go get in the back seat. They're coming for you. She crawls into the back seat and throws a blanket over her. And now he's sitting in the car, his girlfriend hiding. And there's an alien on each side of the car now. He turns his head and he's looking out the window. Little fire illuminating the landscape. He said the aliens looked like they didn't know how to get in the car. They, they were trying to figure out how to get in the car. And he knows that he's really not in danger. They are there for his girlfriend. He said the aliens were doing this motion like they were waving their hand over the window, expecting it to just go, and they're going to be able to get in. He goes, the aliens were standing there, and they were like waving their hand, and they were doing it again, and they were waiting for the window to simply roll down or recede or disappear. That's not how that works, at least here on Earth. And then he hears a voice in his head. Open the door. Now, of course, that's the last thing he wants to do. He knows they don't know how to get into the car. Open the door. He's not going to. He knows the danger. And he's just sitting there, and the aliens are waiting outside in the darkness. He then gets a second message in his head. And an image as well at the same time. He gets an image of his door locks. And they're open. And he hears a voice in his head go, The door is unlocked. Hit the switch. Lock it. You will be safe. And he looks over at the doors. They're locked. The doors are unlocked. You are in danger. Hit the switch and lock them. Hit the switch and lock them now before they get inside. And he sees in his mind the switch popped up. But when he looks at the door, the switch is locked. You're in danger. The car is on fire. Peter, the car is on fire and you need to get out right now. And in his head, he sees a flame begin to creep through the car. Peter, the car is on fire. You need to get out right now. The car is burning. He has an image in his head of flames consuming the car. Peter, get out. The car is on Peter starts to get lightheaded. The next thing he knows, he's standing outside of his car. His girlfriend is gone. He is all alone in a field illuminated only by a small fire. The next thing he knows, the sun is up. He's driving home. His girlfriend is in the back seat. That might be one of the most terrifying alien stories that we've talked about on this show. We've talked about a lot of good ones, but this one shows the true scope of a gray alien's power. The true mental might of one of these creatures. I talk a lot of trash about how you can wreck these things physically. You can just totally annihilate them. But this is truly alien, right? This, is, this has nothing to do with physical strength. Total manipulation of, of really reality at that point, right? 
First, just giving him a simple order to open the door. We've seen UFO abductees simply do what the aliens say. When that doesn't work, trying to trick him. The door's already unlocked. You have to hit the button. You have to lock it. And he fought that. And then the fear of fire. It's one of the few innate fears that humans have. And then the two time jumps is also very terrifying. The one time jump where he's out of the car and his girlfriend is gone, and then a second time jump where he's driving down the road. Now, as far as I know, this story has never been followed up. We This story obviously could be fake, but the story's never been followed up. We don't know if any of the... This is a case, if this was me, I would 100% go to a hypnotherapist to try to get some, re, try to get some clarity on this. <laughs> maybe, maybe, right? It's quite terrifying. But it shows that level of power that these beings can have. I, I don't think I've ever come across that story where we have that sort of mental combat between a human and an alien. And really, the alien winning. Absolutely terrifying story. To be honest, it's such a mind-bending story. I'm at a loss of words. How do you fight something that powerful? Maybe you can't. I think your only hope is that they wipe all your memories. They're obviously capable of deleting certain pieces of memories, so why would they allow Peter to remember the event at all? Maybe they wanted him to remember the sheer panic as he saw the figures walk up to his car. Maybe they wanted him to remember the fear that enveloped him as he stood out in that dark field, the car empty, his girlfriend gone. Maybe they wanted him to be filled with terror so he would tell the message of their power so that all humans would know, no matter what we do, no matter what we think, they can make us. Open the door. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Mm-hmm.